Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hi, this is Dan. You know, this week we're going to be talking about some of the success stories about people who did overhaul their work or change what they were doing. You know, more and more we're seeing uh, just some exciting things that are just uh, coming at us from all directions. A lot of them from 48days.net where people are sharing ideas, getting the advice and opinion of other people, then creating a plan of action and going out and doing it. So I'm going to be sharing more of those. We always have way more than uh, enough questions to fill the allotted time. 48 minutes each week. If you're new to this podcast, welcome in. We welcome you. This is a growing community of 48 Days listeners where each week I, Dan Miller, take some of the many, many questions that have been submitted during the week and we just scan through those and try to unpack a few here in ways that will help all of us move toward higher levels of success. But I'm going to also start introducing just some success stories. Got a couple today that I think you'll really find interesting. Here's some of the questions we'll be covering. Dan, how can I sell my copper and brass jewelry? Dan, I'm miserable in my job. Should I bite the bullet and keep suffering through the misery until something else comes along? Probably get a flare with my inflection on that, how I'm going to respond to that. You never wait until something else comes along. Something else doesn't come along. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that. Another one, is it okay to ask for relocation expenses to be covered when moving to a new job offer? Someone says, one of my bookkeeping clients want me to be their CFO, chief financial officer. Should I give up having my own business? Interesting question. And I'm going to, um, you know, unpack that in a way that, shows us this is not an either or kind of thing. We're talking about a, a scale, a continuum of work that is meaningful, that fits. So it's not either you are an employee or you are a raving entrepreneur. There's a whole lot of gradations in between. That's a good example to talk about that a little bit. Dan, what are your thoughts on direct selling in multi-level marketing companies? Comes up frequently. Dan, I have a lot of passion and determination, but have no clue what God created me to do. Well, we're going to be covering those and more as we just blast through some interesting things here. The workplace is changing. Yes, it's volatile. You know, with all the bad news we're hearing right now, it makes you wonder if you should, you know, go stick your head in a hole somewhere and bury it in the sand, I guess. With the stock market downturn, I mean, there are people who have lost money in the last week where they won't live long enough to ever get back to where they were before. I mean, we're hearing about riots and looting in London, just some horrendous things that bring out the worst nature and humanity. Uh, we're hearing a lot about employee lawsuits. Employees are suing companies for age discrimination, for health-related issues. Gee, you fired me because my wife has some kind of a health condition that you think is going to raise the company premiums. I mean, just everything you can imagine. But it, it gives rise to this growing trend for employees to say, you know what, we can't handle that. We can't put up with that. So we're going to create ways to get productive work from people without having them be traditional employees. Thus, the explosion of all these new models that we see, like consultants, contingency workers, independent contractors, and the list goes on and on. And there's reason for that, but there's reasons for both sides to win in that equation. 
It's not like, okay, the companies are, you know, now dirty SOBs and all the rest of us are going to suffer. No, there, there are ways that we all win with the changing work scenarios. And we'll talk about that. We just had a right to the bank event here at the sanctuary, had another uh, packed house, uh, lots of just wonderful, wonderful creative people and pastors and PhD educators and lots of other people. Incidentally, uh, something came up and I shared it more openly than perhaps I ever have. And I I'm sometimes hesitate to do this, but I'm, I'm going to show you just a real quick piece that came up as regards PhDs in education. People sometimes know, I know you never, you'd never see any kind of degrees behind my name. You don't see any of the degrees there. And I, you don't need to call me anything but Dan till my dying day. So I'm not looking for fancy titles and all of that, but I have various degrees and I completed my doctoral work Now, when I say I completed my doctoral work, I did exactly that. I completed the coursework. When it came time for the dissertation, I had that wonderful conversation with those four old guys who were, you know, scratching their heads and uh, smoking their pipes, I suppose, about my dissertation. And I framed it thus. I said, as I understand it, I can spend the next year and a half of my life completing a paper that no one in the world will ever read except you four guys. So you hopefully will give me a piece of paper that I can hang in the wall. They said, yes. Or I can, this is the way I framed it. I can spend that same amount of time writing a book that a lot of people may want to read and hopefully would make me a million dollars. Well, they were mortified that I framed it in that way, but that's exactly what I did. 48 days to the work you love is the replacement for my doctoral dissertation. So I never got the official degree, although I completed all the coursework. But what I predicted and hoped for has happened exactly and more that has become a foundational piece for the work that I will do the rest of my life, which is really what doctoral work ought to do. It shouldn't be a terminal degree. It should be the beginning of the work that you're going to do the rest of your life. So I kind of just shortened the process instead of having the dissertation there. I went right to the work that I wanted to do. Yes, it has served me extremely well, uh, generating certainly a million dollars and, and beyond that and all the ancillary things that we've created around that. But that's what happened. But anyway, that came up in a group of, with a lot of academic people in there and educators, and they always kind of, uh, I think have a hard time assimilating that. And yet they wonder, you know, they ask very quickly, how can they get to the kind of life that I have? Well, again, if you keep your eyes open, you see opportunities in ways that other people don't see them. Well, without going into that anymore, it was a great group. We've got one more right to the bank event this year yet. That'll be September 29th and 30th. And we have more, one more coaching with excellence events, September 15th, the 16th, right before that. So if you want to know how to take your coaching or your writing and expand that into a reasonable income, as I have, join us here. We'd love to see you, love to meet you here. We spoil you with great food and family interaction. You meet my granddaughters. My little granddaughter, Clara, draws the names out of a hat for door prizes. And she usually asks the blessing at our food, which she loves to do. So um, we, we introduce you to the life that we're living here and hope that that's inspirational for you. You can just check the live event links at 48days.com to get the details on that. I got a communication from a guy 
met with Charlie about probably two years ago. Now, Charlie is a local weatherman, so he's a celebrity in that way. People recognize his face. He's on, I think it's the NBC affiliate here in Nashville. And um, so he's a well-known personality. Well, he loves the weather. He has since he was a little kid. And he wants to do seminars to teach people about the weather and how to keep themselves safe with tornadoes coming through this area and all of that. People need to know that. But he was frustrated in that, you know, how do you turn that? How do you monetize that? How do you turn that into an income stream? Even if you invite people to a workshop. Now, I'm really, I mean, ask yourself, are you going to pay $39 to go hear somebody teach you how to understand the weather? Probably not. It's not enough of a felt need to pay money out of your pocket to come hear about it. So what I told Charlie is I said, Charlie, you're, you're, you're too myopically focused on the participants in your seminars as being the only source of revenue. I said, you got a perfect setup to get sponsors for your seminars. Now, this is, this is an example that a lot of you can probably do with what you want to do as well. And, and a lot of it's with writing. I mean, I've had people, we had people here in the Right to the Bank seminar. It says, you know, gee, I've got a magazine that wants to include one of my articles and they want to pay me $35. How am I ever going to make a living on that? And I'm like, I have written hundreds and hundreds of articles for magazines and I could probably count on one hand the times I've been paid for those. I will write for any magazine for free. Don't worry about paying me as long as you run my byline that tells people for free reports and more information, go to 48days.com. That's where we make our money. The writing is just a marketing application to give us exposure to bring more people into the 48 days community in one way or another, then they get involved. And obviously we make money by them being involved there. The same thing is true with some of these seminars. You could do a seminar where you don't charge people anything to show up well, how are you going to make money? There's a whole lot of ways. What I told Charlie with his weather seminar is I said, go to people who have some connection with the church where you're going to give the workshop. So it could be true business promotion. So if State Farm Insurance knows that that's a good audience for you, you're going to be talking about what kind of coverage you need to have. That would be a good connection and a good audience for them. So they could pay you for that exposure. You may go to people who have a sense of obligation because they've done business with the church. So the, the company that just put a, a $30,000 roof on the church is going to feel obligated to, you know, put in 500 bucks to support this seminar the church is doing. I mean, that's very, very common. Or somebody who just may love the church and want to support what they're doing. So they're just going to give a donation. So you really have three different ways of approaching potential sponsors. They're looking for true business promotion. They feel a sense of obligation or they want to make a donation. I mean, that's almost an unfair advantage to go out and sell anything. Well, that's exactly what Charlie did. So he just did a seminar and he had $2,600 in sponsorship money. Now he got money for, he approached 12 organizations. I mean, 14 organizations, 12 of them came on as sponsors. It included a Chevy dealership, the local electric utility, Interstate Batteries Distributor, local state farm office, the Primary Care Medical Center, and on and on. I mean, that's a beautiful story about how to look at something differently, how to approach what you want to do, and yet generate money from that, but not in the most direct way. 
a lot of times, and we got some ideas today that I'm going to share with you here that people have asked about, you know, how can I make money doing this? How can I make money with my love of cats? Well, are there ways to do that? Absolutely. If you want to speak, if you want to do workshops, can you make money doing that? Absolutely. There are tons of ways to do that. But I love the way that Charlie actually took action on that, went out there and did it. Great example of a success story. Now, he has four of those workshop scheduled incidentally. And again, instead of having to depend on new participants each time, a lot of those sponsors want to sponsor every time that he speaks. So if he locks in 20, let's just say that it's $2,500 in sponsorship and he does four of those in a month, that's 10,000 bucks. Trust me, that's more than he's making in his regular job. You know, and that's just a one quick example of things that you may have right under your nose that you could do in the same way. Well, Scott from Huntsville says, I've been making and selling jewelry for the past year and a half as a part-time job. My website is slowraincreations.com. It consists mostly of copper and brass. I see other jewelry artists marketing their work, and it's typically silver and or gold, but no work in brass and copper. Is it best for me to stop developing copper brass jewelry and go primarily with silver and or gold? What are people's perceptions of brass, copper, silver versus silver, gold? Well, and he says, your help is greatly appreciated. Scott, well, Scott, thanks for your question. I went to your site. I've got it up on my computer as I'm speaking here. You are selling an emotional product with logical descriptions. Now, what I mean by that, you know, you've got here, this is hammered, domed, copper with patina. Um, sterling silver ear wires crafted in 24 gauge copper hand cut images. And anyway, what you're selling is an emotional product. You want to, you want to make your website just jump out at you in terms of the emotional connection. You don't sell jewelry as a logical product. People don't need it. They want it. And when you're selling something that people want, connect with their emotions, their senses. I want you to go to my son's site, Keza, K-E-Z-A dot com. You'll see right on the opening page exactly what I'm talking about. You're going to see some gorgeous gals standing there in, you know, very uh, alluring poses and showing the jewelry. I mean, I mean, that's what you want. You want, the, and then, I mean, you, you want to tell people that they're going to feel like, you know, Angelina Jolie or Kim Kardashian or something, you know, on, or you tell them that the bronze in these earrings came from an Egyptian princess. And uh, it was only found two years ago by Harrison Ford in the filming of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now I'm, I'm not saying you, you make up stuff that's not true, but you know, create things that will glamorize what you have you know, you can tell them, gee, the silver in this pendant was melted down from the silver dollar that uh, Benjamin Franklin carried in his pocket for 40 years of his life. I mean, again, jewelry is an emotional purchase, not a logical one. Uh, you're not selling, you know, orthopedic shoes. You're selling something glamorous and exciting. So I think you can do fine. I mean, I, th- I don't think there's any problem at all with it being bronze copper. I, I, I don't think there's any reason to do silver and gold. I mean, silver and gold right now is in such a state of flux anyway, you know, people are going nuts because they can't understand what it's really worth with the, the real stock market bombing up and down like it is. I wouldn't even go there. I'd stick with silver. I mean, with copper and bronze, 
I mean, your stuff looks great. Just glamorize it. Incidentally, I want to just remind you, if you got a question for uh, the podcast here, the 48 Days Podcast, just click on the 48days.com podcast link and you can leave your question there. And yeah, we expanded that to allow you to leave a little longer question than what we used to. A lot of you have expressed appreciation about that. Well, going from Michigan says, six months ago, I took a job in another state with a presumption that I would relocate my family. Two months into the job, I realized this was not the job I expected, and I quite literally have been doing nothing in the job since. We also realized that it would be financially impossible to sell our home in Michigan, thus relocating would be a bad choice. I'm miserable being away from my family all week. A seven-plus-hour weekly commute each way is wearing me down, but I need the income and can't afford to quit. Should I bite the bullet? Quit and refocus from home or keep suffering through the misery until something else comes along. Well, Glenn, you set me up there. You just set me up like putting a ball on top of the tee. All I have to do is knock it. <laughs> when, when you phrase something, should I bite the bullet, quit and refocus from home or keep suffering through the misery until something else comes along? No, don't wait. Nothing else is going to come along, but you can make something else happen. I mean, my advice is don't burn any bridges, do an aggressive job search in the town where you want to live. I mean, I, I know your feelings, but also, Take this job oh, hey, is that you talking? I know how you feel, man. I know how you feel about your job, but you don't want to just do this. Tell what? Take 30 days. Create a job search strategy. Then you can find new opportunities. I mean, really, even with the economy, yes, I know what you're saying. Everybody's laying off. Nobody's hiring. No, that's not true. That's just what you see in the papers and on TV because negative news sells. That's not true. There are companies who are desperately looking for people who clearly understand what their skills are. You be very focused. Now, if you got this job, you know how to go through the process. Do it where you want to live. I, I don't, I mean, I don't care if it is in Michigan. Yes, I know the economy is struggling there. And in general, the numbers are challenging. You don't be concerned about the generalities. You need one opportunity. You don't need 30. You need one opportunity. And I'm confident you can find that where you want to live. And you can do that within a 48 day period. Then work out the details of unplugging the job that you did accept that is not a fit. Travis from Kansas says, I have three days to decide. Do I leave a cushy, well-paying job I sometimes hate, but it allows me all of the extracurricular activities that I enjoy for a job where I will scrape by financially, but on paper, it looks like a much better fit in all the non-compensation areas. How do I weigh all the things that I love to do outside of work versus a possible job that it that that i that seems like i will love here's what i want to advise you travis this is a principle from stephen covey and seven habits another writing that he did look for and solutions not either or you've presented two options either a job that's a cushy job but blah 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 you don't particularly like some of the things that involved or a job where you're going to not make enough money but it seems to be a better fit overall Are those the only two options? Heavens no. Do a job search 
find four other opportunities to balance against the one offer that you already have and then make a decision. Look for and solutions. I, on a, I was on a radio interview um, with, um, I was on Moody Radio out of Chicago, I think it was, and had a caller who said, I'm a teacher and I was working in a Christian school. Loved the atmosphere, loved the connection with the students. There was a, an alignment of values, loved the support from the parents, but I was making peanuts. So I took, took a job in another organization. I doubled my pay, but now there's not the support of the parents. There's not an alignment of my values. Should I stay where I make reasonable income to add to my family income or go back to a Christian school where I just make peanuts? Well, again, are those the only two options? Is it totally unreasonable to expect to be paid well for what you do and be in a place where there's an alignment of values and have the support of the teachers? No, we have to get rid of this idea that the first two things that pop up are only options. Always look for more. You know, my granddaughter, four years old, Clara, is a pro at finding alternate solutions. Yesterday, she and her daddy were back here at the sanctuary at the back of our property in her daddy's truck. When they got ready to leave, Nathan, my son-in-law, said he needed to swing back by our house, which is that's about 300 yards from here, and pick something up. So Clara could either ride in the back of the truck and do deer watch, we call it, when she stands up and looks around when we're driving down the driveway. So she could, number one, stand in the back of the truck, do deer watch, or she could ride inside the trucks because she was eating a bag of Doritos and she wasn't sure she could stand up and eat her bag of Doritos at the same time. Or she could simply stay back here with me and wait till her daddy swung back by to pick her up. Three clear choices. You know what Clara said? How about if you just leave and I'll run along behind you over to the house? Totally different solution. Had nothing to do with the three options that he offered as an intelligent, wise, kind, compassionate daddy. She came up with a fourth. She is a master at that. You ask her, Clara, is your favorite color blue or green? She'll think a minute. Red. She comes up with a solution 99% of the time outside of what you offer. I hope she maintains that quality. A lot of us have lost that. We're presented two things and we scratch our head between two things, neither of which are really appealing. What about options C, B, D, and E? Look for those. Well, Jan says, I have an 11-year-old bookkeeping business. I have a few small clients and one major client. For the major client, I act as a CFO or operations manager. Presently, I'm working with a rapidly growing retail business. I started with them before they opened their first store. I have a diverse background helping clients with many things, not just in accounting. That company is talking about having me come on board as the operations manager. Currently, they have sales of around $10 million annually. I'm trying to decide if it's worth it to give up my business and go with them as an employee. What questions should I ask? They have already cut my pay once since they felt I was no longer a specialist for them but they want to pay me a salary and then a bonus based on performance of all the stores. All right, boy, I, I love this setup 
Jan. I mean, what a great position to be in where you have one client in your bookkeeping business, your own business, but you have one client that loves you enough that they want to bring you on board as a full-time part of just their team. I mean, I've been through this countless times. I mean, a lot of times when I've had somebody who's so great at what they do, I don't want to share them with anybody else. We've worked out some unique arrangements because of that. Here's the deal. You've already been in business for yourself. Thus, you've already opened the door to having multiple clients as opposed to just one. This is a soft continuum. This is not either you're an employee or you're out here, you know, struggling to be an entrepreneur. No, you're a bookkeeper. You know what it is that you do that brings value to an organization. Now you're simply asking yourself, are you going to have just one customer or are you going to have multiples? This is not a quantum leap either way. I mean, if you decide to go with this one client to be their operations manager, have a shot at bonuses based on their overall growth. Wow. If they're at $10 million now and growing, that could be a shot at a really big payday rather than just being compensated for your daily work as a bookkeeper to have an option like that. I mean, if they grow the business over the next five years, uh, do an IPO or, or somebody, acquires that and you've got a piece of the pie that could turn into a big payday. That's a pretty attractive possibility. If in fact, you know the company enough to see what the, you know, what the possibilities there are. So if that big picture makes sense, I say, go for it. You know, this is not a matter of, gee, you've failed. You've given up having your own business. No, it just is an intelligent decision that you're going to keep one customer, devote all your talents to them. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? If it doesn't work out, you need to uh, go back and have in your own business. You can easily go back to bookkeeping for multiple businesses. I mean, it's not like that's something that's going to take years and years to build up and because you need 300 customers. I mean, you could go out and make 10 contacts, get five clients, fill your schedule and do that in one afternoon. So I, I say there's not a whole lot of risk here. If it is a good fit, if it is something that really you want to do, that you do see the potential here. And having had your own business, now we hear this a lot when people want to go into business for themselves, but we also hear it when they go the other way. And what are we going to hear from those people who think they know you well and have your best interest at heart? Oh yeah, they're going to be hanging around. People think you're crazy. You know, and we hear a lot when people are going to leave a job and go out and start their own business. Are you nuts? You're going to leave an opportunity to have a fully vested 401k and retirement program? You know, in another 13 years of doing something you hate, then you're going to have a guaranteed retirement? Why would you dream of doing something else? Well, the same thing is true here. If you've been in business for yourself and you have an opportunity to go with a company, people are going to say, oh, wow, couldn't cut it on your own. Don't worry about that. This is your life, not their life. This is your life. If it makes more sense, I say, do it. Hold your head high. Have a great time doing it. Lyndon says, is it okay to ask for relocation expenses to be covered when moving for a new job offer? Well, he says, by the way, I love the new site. 48 days, much cleaner, easier to navigate, faster loading times. Thanks. We're, we've got a great team here that does the, the web stuff. We're always looking for ways to streamline. We, we just, just as an aside here, we've had, Multiple sites, even though they're seamlessly connected, there's a lot of information there. We frankly keep paring down what we have on our website. Some, we used to think that bigger is better no matter what. 
Well, we just changed all the things that we had on the homepage of 48days.com. And it simply has my blogs there, the most recent blog. It doesn't have all those articles. Now, they're still there if you browse around a little bit. But the first thing you see is just simply my blog for the day. It took some doing to convince me that that was the way to go, but I'm pretty flexible because I have a young web marketing promo team around me whose ideas usually make sense. And so I can be talked into those things. It's different. But anyway, thanks for your your comments on that. And it says, is it okay for relocation expenses to be covered when moving to a new job offer? Absolutely. Now, here's the deal. I mean, you, you can ask for a new puppy as part of the product process as part of your relocation package there's nothing too unreasonable you can ask for new brass and copper earrings from one of our previous callers there's nothing too unreasonable or out of the box to be everything is negotiable now in 48 days in um i think it's chapter nine show me the money in there i have a, a long list of things that can be negotiated when you're accepting a new job offer. And I, I've got in there certainly, you know, a company car. I mean, there's a company down in Alfreda, Georgia, where every new person coming in gets a brand new BMW. Now it's leased. I mean, they aren't actually giving it to you, but it's leased for your use. And they realize that does more for their recruiting than paying for expensive ads and you know, trying to recruit in traditional ways. But you might get a country club membership or free life insurance and profits sharing company stock. You may get tuition reimbursement. I mean, that's real common. You may ask for additional time off. Uh, You may want your own laptop computer for going back and forth in the office. You may want, uh, you may, I know places where they get weekly massages. Uh, You may get two weeks in the company condo in Hawaii. I mean, all those, or you you may get a a low interest loan for the home that you're going to purchase through the company. You know, I mean, a loan through the company to purchase a home in that area. I mean, all those things are things that you can negotiate for. So nothing is too unreasonable. And certainly relocation expenses are not unreasonable or unexpected if, in fact, you are having to move. Well, Bill says, I want to get into franchise consulting with a very reputable company. They represent over 400 franchises, and I can work from home with a computer and phone. I'm presently a property and casualty insurance agent, but want a greater opportunity. Is this a good idea as franchising seems to be really growing and there are only about 900 consultants in the world? I'm just nervous about stepping out on my own and going for it. I've talked with several consultants and they are doing well. Now, Bill, here's the question. The question is not, is the franchisor company strong? You know, is it a great company or even if they offer great services, the big question is, is it a good fit for you? So it doesn't matter. I mean, is the franchise model strong? Absolutely. I mean, franchising, I mean, about 50% of all purchases we make anywhere today come through franchised operations. So you think about that, you know, Wendy's, Subway, um, golly, Chick-fil-A. I mean, we, we go on and on. It's certainly not just uh, eating things. I mean, if you're getting your carpet cleaned, your windows washed or buying a car, you're dealing with a franchisee, a franchisee under a franchise system of some kind. But the question is simply, is it a good fit for you? Now, I can tell you the hottest selling franchise out there is Subway. If you want a franchise, why don't you get one of those? Well, 
If you're not somebody who really enjoys contact with 700 new people every day, and you're going to be thrilled about dealing with entry-level employees who may not have your same standards of excellence and perfectionism, that's going to be a poor fit for you. It doesn't matter how successful the Subway franchise is in general. If it's not a good fit for you, it's going to be a horrendous mistake for you to do it. So that's the thing to look at. Is this a good business model for you? Is what you would be doing a good fit for the kind of work that you're already doing that you would love to do? So those are the questions to really be asked. Here's a related question. Dan says, um, my question is, what are your thoughts on direct selling in multi-level marketing companies? I'm part of one and I know that it's a business system that you can plug into. It feels like they are a way to take the road less traveled, but with a good amount of support built in. Are there specific multi-level marketing companies that you personally like or do not like? Now, based on what I just said, you can assume my response to the second part. Are there companies that I like or do not like? How many of you have heard something negative about Amway as a multi-level marketing company? Well, there's probably about, you know, 6,000 of you that just raised your hands out there uh, virtually. I know that. I also have some dear friends right here in the Franklin area who have been in Amway for, I think, probably about 32 years at this point. They are wonderful, compassionate, generous people. They have made millions and millions and millions of dollars um, monthly. (laughs) So is that a bad company? No, I would never say that. You know, I have a friend... um, her name is Carol Waugh, who I talked to probably 12 years ago or so. She was burned out as a account rep with IBM, tired of the travel, tired of the corporate environment. We looked at opportunities for her. She was looking at a cosmetics company, multi-level marketing. The company is Arbon, And I said, Carol, I think this is a perfect fit for you. She has knocked it out of the park. Went to a reception at her house not too long ago, and it was really cool. They had valet parking, so we parked at the bottom of the hill. And then as we went up the hill to her house, it was lined on both sides with white Mercedes. Those all belong to her gals who have achieved that level of success. They get a white Mercedes. And it was stunning. It was spectacular to realize all these ladies, when you you walk in the room, Uh, And of course, they all look like a million bucks, too. I'm sure it was more than just cosmetics enhancing their looks, but that's another story. But I'm delighted with her success. The question is, is it a right fit for you? And you're right. Multi-level marketing offers a complete business system where you don't have to reinvent all the administrative back end. 90% of what you need to know to run any business you can learn in the multi-level marketing companies at the same time. I mean, Amway was forced a few years ago to reveal the real stats for their distributors. And I think the average distributor makes about $88 a month. I mean, the stats for multi-level marketing are not very attractive, but can it be done? Absolutely. So the question, now I I am not attracted to that model at all. I do not want to have, you know, people calling me at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. Oh, Dan, I wasn't able to make my contacts this week and I'm not going to make my bonus this month. I mean, it's not a model that appeals to me at all. But am I supportive of it? If it fits the individual, absolutely. And that's what you have to decide. If it fits you and you're doing well, have fun with it. Rock and roll. Again, if you got a question, just go to the 48days.com 
site and just click on the podcast link, you're going to see a nice little starburst there where you can plug in your question. We'll get that plugged into an upcoming episode here of the 48 Days Podcast. Anita from Seattle says, Dan, I've been listening to your podcast, purchased your 48 Days audio, took the personality test. I'm a high SC and I've really been impressed by the message you're putting out there. I know I'm challenged by analysis paralysis with my personality type and I'm ready to overcome that. I'm interested in getting into the vending business and located in my local airport. I would provide cosmetic and beauty products in a travel size that people use every day. They may have forgotten it at home or have it taken away when they got on the airplane. You know, good point, good connection. Do you think this would be profitable? And if so, do you know anything about getting a vending machine into an airport? This is one of few ideas I've come up with. I've always worked for someone else. My family's full of entrepreneurs, but they all encourage me to keep my J-O-B. Well, uh, that's another issue. You deal with your family there. And again, people may say you're crazy if you leave that. But if you have a well-crafted plan in place, know what you're getting into, it can lead to bigger successes. You've identified the big issue with vending, and that is how do you get your machines into prime locations? There are hundreds of thousands of vending machines stored in garages and storage units all over the country. People who thought they were going to get rich in vending, but they never addressed the issue of having it in a prime location. I mean, I talked to somebody one time who was going to have um, Tic Tacs, the Tic Tac in the little containers, Tic Tacs, you know, to freshen your breath. And he was going to have a machine and one of the locations that he was hoping to get was in Dave Ramsey's business. And I said, Oh my gosh, please don't do this. Don't do it at all. To purchase the little vial of Tic Tacs requires 75 cents. You know what that means? How many of you right now have three quarters in your pocket? This was not a big machine that made change. You had to have three quarters. So you have to have three quarters. So there you've just cut your, with the way people use, you know, credit and debit cards today. I mean, I can go all week with one quarter in my week and it's still there at the end of the week because I never use cash for anything. But uh, so the process of having three quarters in your week is a, three quarters in your pocket rather is a challenge. Then you've got, let's say that you are in a company where there's 300 people. That is not enough traffic to ever make a vending machine for a specialty item like that successful. It, It won't work. Now, unfortunately, he did go ahead with that, and he's one of those that I referred to a little bit ago who has machines stored in a garage somewhere because it never did work. The concept just didn't work. Somebody sold him on the idea of being rich in vending and sold him these machines. The chances are about 99% that at an airport, they already have contracts in place for the entire vending company. I mean, the vending opportunity. So, you know, if if you see Coke products in one place, you're not going to see Pepsi somewhere else, that kind of thing. Those are contracts for the entire place. Now, airports are getting more aggressive about operating almost like a mall where you can lease a little space to have your kiosk. They know there's a ton of traffic. You have guaranteed traffic. So if you're selling sunglasses or energy drinks or granola bars, whatever it is, you're going to have guaranteed traffic. As a result, they expect to be paid dearly for that space. So you may pay $3,500 for the space. You need to make sure you're going to turn enough product 
And with what you're talking about, you're talking about things that fall in the need category, not the want. In as much as you describe people that may have left their cosmetic or beauty products and they need to get those. I mean, I, I, I travel enough to know that anything that the airport may have taken away from me or I forgot, I can get for nothing at the hotel I'm going to be staying at for one thing. So they'll, they'll give me, you know, combs, brushes, hair dryers, uh, toothpaste, toothbrush, band-aids. I mean, they're, they're going to provide that. So I don't see that as a real high need. And you're describing things that people need, not what they want. Again, keep in mind, you have a whole lot higher chances of success with something that people want. So if you're selling Reese cups and M&Ms, you've got a real higher chance for success with a vending machine than you do with Bayer aspirin or band-aids. So there's that. The first thing to do though, is go ask the airport. Go find out. That's not difficult to do. Go find out what would it take to have a space here where I could have my own vending machine. You'll find out real quickly if that's a possibility. And if they tell you, yes, it's only $4,000 a month, then you can put a pencil to it and figure out how much product would you have to sell at 50 cents a piece or a dollar a piece in order just to cover your overhead. It can be challenging. A lot of people have jumped on opportunities to be in malls. And especially during the holidays where they may pay $4,000 for a spot and realize they have to work 20 days out of the month just to cover their overhead and hope that the last 10, they eke into some kind of profitability. When you see vending, when you see vending in at, at Walmart, don't think that you can get a gumball machine and just stick it in their lobby. Heavens no, there's no way in the world that's going to happen. They control that. They know that's very valuable space. You can't get into a university. University is going to contract out for somebody to handle bending in the entire university. So a lot of the places that really do have a lot of traffic have contractual things in place and it takes big bucks, big company to get your way in there. So you usually are left starting in vending with mom and pop kind of operations where you really do have to do the math. Can you make this work? Well, let me scoot on here. Scott from Cincinnati says, thanks for all you do about the tiger tiger project you're looking for. I think I mentioned a couple of weeks that I'd feel like right now I'm doing a great job of maintaining. I have a lot of writing projects and opportunities, but I don't have a, something that I'm just really a big tiger by the tail that I would uh, be happy to have. I, I, and I know that I'm kind of on the prowl for that. And some of you have responded to that. He says about the tiger project you're looking for, how about doing a job summit? like the ones a president is always doing, but with people who actually know what they're talking about. You, Dave Ramsey, Seth Godin, John Maxwell, Zig Ziglar, and any other heavy hitters you can connect with. Perhaps do a televised internet roundtable discussion about how to really create jobs. Ask your Wednesday morning group what they think. Oh, you're the best, Scott. Well, thanks, Scott. I appreciate your, your great idea. And it is a great idea. And I do have a lot of ideas about how jobs are actually created, as does Dave Ramsey and the other people you mentioned. Uh, Seth Godin, yeah, he's one of the most brilliant minds on the planet about how to create meaningful, fulfilling work. Um, you know, and I've got a lot of ideas too about why unemployment hasn't gone up any more than it has with all the lanes and firings, what has actually happened. Um, I've been approached numerous times about doing different TV shows, reality shows about taking somebody out of the unemployment line, putting them through the 48 days process. Uh, it's a perfect setup. I have a lot of opportunities that would take me away from the life 
that I'm living today. Even my own kids, you know, often come up to me with ideas. Dad, we could do this, this, and this. And my question always is, okay, then how long would it take me to get back to the life I have today? So that eliminates a whole lot of things that from the outside would obviously make sense. In a lot of ways, it would be a fit and so on and so forth. I'm not one who is looking to get bigger and bigger at all cost. In as much as I hope it becomes clear that I think success has more to do with your life than just what you're doing to generate income and how big that income is. Yeah, there are a lot of things that I say no to because I enjoy the life that I have today. Now, your idea is a great one, and and it has come up more than once. And I have discussed with some of the very people that you have suggested possibilities like that. We've looked at cruise ideas, doing things together. So there are some ideas in the work. Again, thanks for your suggestion. Aaron says, I recently lost my teaching job and had to move back home with my parents. Not exactly what I had In the plans at 30 years old, my biggest fear at this point is that I have been living without a sense of purpose for a few years now. I have a lot of passion and determination, but have no clue what God created me to do. Help. I feel at this point, it's very critical that I make the right decision about where I put my next efforts. I want to start living again, but feel very confused about where to start. Thanks for your time. Well, you're, you're right at at 30, I would cringe as well at moving back in with my parents. And I don't blame you for being concerned about that, but you've really put your finger on the crux of the issue here. When you say I've been living without a sense of purpose for a few years now, that's your challenge. It's not the economy. It's not the opportunity. It's not your IQ, your degrees, anything. It's you living with a lack of direct purpose. But at 30, fortunately, you have enough life experience to look back on and see some clear patterns emerging. You ought to be able to identify what are your unique skills and abilities? What are your personality tendencies? How do you relate to other people? What kind of environments work best for you, energize you, and make you come alive? What are your values, dreams, and passions? And it's by looking at those things that you start to see some clear patterns from which you can identify and clarify your purpose and mission. Uh, two things I want you to do. One is I want you to grab the 48 days schedule. Now, if you go to 48days.com, just go to resources, the drop down, you'll see worksheets. Boom. It's in there. I think it's pretty close to the top 48 days schedule. Work through that. You can do this in 48 days. You can have the clarity that you want, the direction defined, a new position in place, move out of your parents, move on with your life and you know go on feeling like you're accomplishing something. You really can do that. There's also a worksheet there for creating your own personal mission statement. You should be able to do that in two hours. So this is not something that's going to take you years to do. Two hours, go do that. You can do that with confidence. And you know, don't delay. Go do that. Kathy says, and this is probably going to be the last one I'm going to get to today. Kathy says, my passion is cats. Can I find a market where I can use my passion for cats to make a living with no startup cost? Absolutely. My goodness. There's all kinds. I mean, you can, um, yeah, there's stray cats and sell them to Chinese restaurants. Oh, geez. I can't believe I said that. I'm going to get nailed for that. Don't do that. I know you're looking for other things. Love for cats. Okay. Here, here's some things. Okay. These are just quick things that I, that 
come to mind. You could be a pet artist if you have those kind of skills or do caricatures of the, the owner and their pets. You could become a, a massage therapist for cats. Yes, that's a growing, exploding kind of field. You could be a, well, you could just be a therapist for cats. I mean, there are people that pay big bucks to send their cats to therapist or, or become a cat whisperer where you help people understand how to relate to their cat with, uh, you know, understand the dynamics of the relationship to benefit both sides. You can find unique ways for pet owners to connect with their pets. You can have a, a cat a daycare or a summer camp. I mean, it goes on and on and on. If you look at, I mean, pet products, pet in general is one of the biggest areas of growth in our country. I mean, last year, over $44 billion were spent on pet products, pet resources, $44 billion. That's more than on toys. That's more than on nutritional supplements. And we think of those areas as being really big. Pets superseded those by far. If you look for sunglasses, ball caps and bandanas, scarves, designer clothes, I mean, these are all things that are being marketed for cats. Um, healthcare products, selling insurance for animals is an exploding opportunity. People buy insurance policies. So if their cat gets sick, they take him to the vet, it's covered. There are insurance plans for that. Yeah, absolutely. There are a whole lot of ways that you can, in fact, make money with your love of cats. Well, I'm going to need to wrap up there. Hey, thanks for being part of this community. Thanks for being one of those who really is working through what your purpose and passion is. You're not just putting in your time. You're not just out here to, to make a buck and get a paycheck. You know, life is too short to settle for just that. So you are in the game. You are in the process of already defined, you know, work that is meaningful, purposeful, profitable. Hey, be part of the 48 Days community. I know you already are. Thanks for that. Thanks for your comments and questions. Submit your question to the podcast link at 48days.com. If you aren't involved in the 48days.net community, there's no charge. It's just a group of people who are helping each other do the kind of things that you're asking right here. doesn't matter if you're in a traditional job or if you're an entrepreneur. Again, those are soft continuums, soft divisions between those. Just make sure that you're on this path, getting ready to do what you do to knock it out of the park.